Good morning. If you want to turn to Colossians 1, I'm going to read starting at verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this morning, uh, through your Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts, open our eyes, our understanding, Father, for us to see Jesus and, uh, and just be caught up with him, enamored with him, uh, stunned by him. Father, that you would help us to, in a fresh way, see Jesus this morning. Amen. So, um, at the refuge, we have a mission statement, or you could call it a tagline, a motto, that captures who we are and what we feel God has called us to be. It's simply Christ healing community. Christ healing community. And it captures in those three words the essence of who we are and, uh, and, uh, and of who we want to be. Christ, he's the foundation. He's the center. He's the beginning, the end. He's our redeemer. He's, he's everything. Um, at the refuge, we're not about a generic God or a generic higher power. We're not about being spiritual. We're about Jesus. It's just that simple. We're about Jesus. Um, And we're about Jesus not just so we can be, you know, Bible scholars and know lots of information so we can learn, you know, win lots of arguments, but we're about Jesus restoring and healing and delivering and saving and transforming. And so so when we come together on Sundays or throughout the week, it's not just so we can know more, but it's so we can be changed more. We can be transformed. We can become different people. As it says in Romans 8, we can become like Jesus. Christ healing community and and that it, that we do that together you know salvation 
is definitely very personal. It's between me and God, but it's to be experienced as we look at the Bible in community uh, with a God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who have lived in community for eternity and together with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and with one another experiencing the healing of Christ. So the next three weeks, today and the next two Sundays, we're going to be focusing, kind of just reminding ourselves again about who we are, Christ, healing community. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at, at Christ. Um, there's a big word, and it's called diversification. And in the dictionary, it says that diversification is the act of diversifying. Does that help? Um, my father told me that you never define a word by using the same word. But <laughs> nevertheless, the dictionary did that. Diversification. To put it simply, and this is, this is, it's not putting your eggs all in one basket, okay? I think that's what diversification means. It's, you don't put your eggs all in one basket. And to give you an example, if you have money, um, financial diversification is when you spread your money around into different investments. You don't put it all, you know, you don't put it all in Apple or you don't put it all in, who I almost said Starbucks, that would have been like cussing or something, but um, <laughs> you don't put it all in General Mills or you don't put it all in Ford. You, you diversify. You don't, because if... You know, if everybody decides to drink coffee at the Coffee Oasis instead of Starbucks, your stock would plummet, and if all your money was there, you'd be in bad shape. Just, just a financial tip there in case you were wondering. So that's financial diversification. At least that's what I'm told by people that have money. So um, to me, an, a fun one is it's corporate diversification. It's a, it's a strategy where businesses, in order to increase their market penetration, they diversify the products or the businesses that they carry. Um, just to give you an example, General Mills. When you think of General Mills, what do you think of? Cereal. Cereal. Good, that was the right answer. Thank you. Cereal. But... but and so they make Cheerios. That's one of my favorite cereals. Uh, Cocoa Puffs, Count Chocolate. I never heard of that one. Um, Jurassic Park Crunch. Uh, anyway, they make a lot of cereals. Lucky Charms, Wheaties. Yeah. Um, but 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 listen to what else General Mills sells. Betty Crocker is owned by General Mills. Bisquick. Pillsbury, fruit roll-ups, yeah, um, bugles, I haven't had a bugle in a long time, Nature Valley granola bars, but Haagen-Dazs ice cream, owned by General Mills, uh, Hamburger Helper, Progresso, and Yo Plate Yogurt, those are all a part of General Mills' diversification strategy in order to increase their, their bottom line, their income. Okay, one more. Um, Pepsi. 
when you think about Pepsi, obviously we think of soft drinks, right? If you don't, you're thinking wrong. So Pepsi. In 2005, in case you're interested, Pepsi overtook Coke as the number one soft drink um, retailer. But it's because of Pepsi's diversification strategy. Only 50% of Pepsi's income comes from soft drinks. Um, Pepsi owns Quaker Oats, so those chewy granola bars. This was a surprise to me. They own Seattle's Best Coffee. Um, I thought Starbucks did. I guess Starbucks sold, sold it to them. But get this. Pepsi also owns the rights to Starbucks double shots, frappuccinos, and iced coffee bottled drinks. Rockstar Energy Drinks and Sobe. Uh, Aunt Jemima. Yeah. Rice Aroni. Um, and then lots of Cheetos, Doritos, Fritos, Lay's. And then, of course, they also carry Pepsi. Um, diversification. Um, this, is, this is what I want us to get this morning, and this is really key. Diversification is, is an important strategy to achieve success in our world. Uh, you know, I probably should mention the Seahawks since they lost yesterday. No, I was kidding. They, uh, <laughs> they, uh, oh. um, you know, a, a good football team, like the Seahawks, what makes them good, I think, is diversification. It's a team where all their eggs aren't in one basket, right? Um, I think... One of the reasons, I mean, I mean, the obvious reason why the Washington Redskins failed miserably this year is because all their eggs kind of in one basket, right? RG3, their runner, their passer, all in one basket, and, and with his injury, he didn't perform. It's like they weren't any good anymore. Diversification, in order to be successful in our world, diversification is really important, but this is the point. It's not God's strategy. Because God, as we see in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, he put all of his eggs in one basket. All of his eggs in one basket. And that is Jesus. You know, as I was thinking and praying about this, uh, because so often we, you know, I mean, the truths we're going to talk about this morning, I mean, they're truths that most of us have heard repeatedly. We've heard them over and over again. And, and I think so often it's, it's hard for us to be captured by the incredible truths of what we're going to hear again this morning, that God put all of his eggs in one basket, everything, everything, is about Jesus, everything. So just, to, just to, to reiterate that, look at Colossians 1, 
And notice verse 18, where kind of the end, it says, so that in everything he, Jesus, might have supremacy. For God, the Father, was pleased to have all fullness dwell in him. In everything supremacy, all fullness in Christ. The word fullness there is actually, it's a technical theological term, a Greek word that denotes the totality of divine attributes and characteristics and powers. Meaning, when it says fullness there, it means it's all, Jesus had it all. When Jesus came in the flesh, God became flesh and he dwelt among us. It was all there. God was all there. And everything has to do about Jesus. The simple point, if we could capture it, and and what is so important for us to capture this is, is the incredible, it's the amazing truth that the God who created the world is the God who is repairing the world, is redeeming the world, is reconciling the world, and it's all the same person. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And the incredible point of it as we come to the end is the, the whole point of all of it is that we can have a relationship with this guy, this God, that we can know him, and we can love him, and we can talk to him. I, I loved how Pat, what he shared before he preached. I mean, just that we can talk with him, we can walk with him, we can, we can hang out with him, and the creator, redeemer of the universe one person. Think of it this way. The, uh, when we think about Christ healing communion and we think about each, each one of us think individually of our own hurts and our pains and our, and our struggles and our sins and, our, and how we can be restored and how we can be healed and how we can be delivered and how we can be changed and transformed. In what better way than that the creator who became the redeemer and the repair and the restore, he's all the same person. Think of it this way. If, you're, if you were driving your car and it, it breaks down and it's a, whatever your car does, it's a Jaguar, okay? Um, and it breaks down on the side of the road and you're like me, uh, if you're that... You don't really like repairing cars or repairing anything. My wife does most of the repairs at our house. Um, and so here I am. My wife's not with me, so the car can't get repaired. And so I'm on the side of the road, and I don't have any idea what to do. Do I kick the tires? Do I, you know, do I check the oil? Um, I'm, not, I'm a little better than that. And I'm there frustrated trying to figure out what to do, and some... Old guy drives up in a Volkswagen bug and he says, Can I help you? And I look at him and I was like, Give me a break. This is a Jaguar. Yeah, you got a Volkswagen bug. And he says, Well, do you mind if I look at it? And unbeknownst to me, this guy that stopped and offered to repair my car is the guy that designed Jaguars. And he knows all about the Jaguars. And it takes him no time or trouble at all to fix this thing because he created this thing. And that's the point. Is the person who created us 
is the person who redeemed us and wants to repair us and restore us. It's all the same person. It's all about Jesus. So let's just look quickly, starting at verse 15. And and we're going to just capture a few of the pictures that are here just to highlight uh, that it's all about Jesus. Look at verse 15. It says, the sun is the image of the invisible God. And I love this picture because to me it's the picture of I mean, just imagine this, that we got a mirror on the wall over here. And the invisible, eternal, immortal God of the universe, spirit, is in front of the mirror. We can't see him. He's invisible. The Bible says God is spirit. He's invisible. And unbeknownst to us, God, invisible God, is there, and the mirror's there. And as we look at the mirror, who do we see? Jesus, that's what it says here. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If the invisible God were standing here, the mirror would reflect Jesus. The, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says Jesus is the exact representation. And the, the idea is engraving. It's like, it's like you have God here and, and, and the stamp, and it's that exact representation Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Uh, You know what's incredible about this, for for those of us that are reading through the Bible together, and if you haven't started, I would encourage you to start today. Just get one of those pieces of paper and start today, where today is. Um, I've enjoyed it. Um, If you find reading hard... Um, I am listening to it. The first time I've ever done that. I'm listening audio through the Bible. And I'm really enjoying it. It's kind of like I'm being read a story. Um, so I'd encourage you to do that. But one of the incredible, as, as I've been reading and as we've been reading together, one of the things we've seen is this angel of the Lord appearing, talking to Hagar and talking to Abraham and and uh, hanging out with Adam and Eve in the garden. That's Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. And when we see God in the flesh or God appearing in the Old Testament, New Testament, it's Jesus. The image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. This, is, this should be understandable Again, to those of us who have been reading, and it's repeated twice here, the firstborn over all creation and then the firstborn from among the dead. Uh, Obviously, it's not talking about birth. Nobody's firstborn from among the dead. Uh, What does it mean, firstborn? Well, for those of us that just enjoyed reading the Jacob Esau account, we get a great illustration of what firstborn means here. Remember, Esau was the firstborn, and and Jacob was the secondborn, holding on to Esau's heel, and the and the pro- prophecy was that the older would serve the younger. And Jacob latched on to that prophecy, and along with his mother, tried to achieve it by their own means. Uh, remember that. Esau came in and he was starving to death one day and uh, he said, Jacob had cooked some lentil stew and Esau said, can I have some of that stew? And 
And what did Jacob say? You know, being the brother he was, absolutely, here, have some stew. He said, no, sell me your birthright. Sell me your birthright, and I'll give you some stew. And Esau disdained his birthright, the rights of the firstborn, and sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. And then a little bit later, um, when Isaac was going to give his blessing to Esau as the oldest, what does Jacob do? Uh, Along with his mother, he dresses up like Esau. He puts animal fur on his, he puts Jacob's clothes on, makes, Rebecca makes what uh, Isaac likes to eat. And he goes in and deceives his father and gets Esau's blessing as the firstborn. Why was he so determined? It's because the rights of the firstborn, the firstborn, it was all about the firstborn, all the power, all the authority, all the privileges, all the rights. It was the firstborn, and and that's what it's saying here. It's not talking physically, it's talking allegorically that Jesus is supreme over all creation. He's the firstborn. He's the one who has all authority and all power and all rights. What Jacob wanted to get from Esau, that's Jesus. He's supreme. Notice, and and it describes it here, he's supreme because in him, verse 16, all things were created. He's not part of the creation. He is the creator. In fact, all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, and here it describes thrones, powers, rulers, authority, the angelic world, and our material world, it's all and has all been created by Jesus. He is pre-existent before everything. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together or are sustained. Jesus is supreme. And the first thing in verses 15 to 17 that is made really clear is that Jesus is sovereign over creation. Jesus is, Jesus is it. It's about him. He's the creator. But then it changes in verse 18. It says he's also head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. And so not only is he sovereign and supreme over creation, but he's also sovereign and supreme over the church and the new creation. Because see, when, as we all know, as God created everything, and everything fell away from him, rebelled against him, we've gone our own way, God's creation has gotten marred and God's creation has become separated from him. And God's intent in creating us to have relationship with him was destroyed. And so what was going to make it right? It was where the creator becomes our new creator, our recreator, our redeemer. And so not only is he sovereign over initial creation, Jesus is supreme and sovereign over God's restoration his new beginning. It says he's the beginning. The church, the people of God, has its beginning in Jesus. He's the beginning and in the Alpha and Omega. He's the one that brought life out of death in the same way that in the beginning he spoke and life happened. Light happened, creation happened, 
when he conquered death, life happened again. The opportunity for life and relationship with God happened again. He's sovereign over everything so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Um, in Colossians 2.9 it says that the fullness of deity dwells in Jesus in bodily form. Here it says God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And I think it's a little different slant. It's not just saying that the fullness of deity is in Jesus in bodily form, but it's saying that the fullness of God's plan, of God's purpose, of what God intended, it's all in Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. God put his eggs all in one basket. The, uh, you know, as we come to verses, end of verse 18 and 19, um, it's really important for us to understand that God didn't have a plan B. Um, that God, you know, like most of us in taking tests, the kind of tests we like are multiple choice, you know, multiple guess, you know, because you have a, at least a chance of getting something right. God isn't about multiple choice. There's only one answer. There's only one choice. It's, it's just all about one thing. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one can have a relationship with God. And so we can talk about gods or higher powers or spirituality, but the, the bottom line is according to what the Bible says, and it seems really closed-minded in the world we live in today, doesn't it? When there's so many options and there's so many choices and there's so many ways that are offered to be spiritual or have a relationship with God where the Bible is pretty closed-minded, it just says it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And the reason God can be so narrow-minded, it seems to us, is that it's because Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with God. You know, we can make up our ways and we can come up with our own ideas and our own choices. But notice how it ends in verse 20 and, and what makes this so powerful that, that the creator becoming the redeemer is the same person. It says, and the, the point of it all is that through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. There's only one, one person who's done that. Remember, it's the creator who knew everything about his creation. He made us. He knows everything about us. And when we, when we have separated ourselves from him, we've gone our own way and we've done our own thing, who better to know how to restore and repair and deliver and, and bring us back in a relationship with him than the creator himself. And that creator became flesh, walked among us. Jesus 
in history walked among us, God himself in the flesh, the creator amongst his creation so that he could be our redeemer. Isn't that incredible? The guy, the God who made us came to restore us and he did that through dying on the cross. By becoming a part of his creation and dying for his creation so that we could be reconciled and restored and back in relationship with the God of the universe. Um, Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we we must be saved. Uh, And the Creator becoming our Redeemer is the one who made that possible. Uh, The question, just to end with this morning, uh, is what are what are you going to do about Jesus? What are you going to do about Jesus? If 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 God's plan is all about Jesus, and if restoration and healing and delivering and transforming and change, if it's all about Jesus, then it's because he is the creator and he is the redeemer, what are you going to do about Jesus? Because if you don't choose God's choice and, he, and God has put all of his eggs into one basket and you're not choosing what God offers, what's left? What are you going to do about Jesus? He just seems too important to live our lives as if he was only a sideshow instead of being the show it being about him let's pray father i know that uh, i can be and i think we can all be uh, come dull and uh these truths about jesus can become just like Ah, we've heard that before, and yeah, I believe that. But, but God, that you would grip our hearts and grip our souls, just grip us with the person of Jesus, uh, who's everything, who is supreme, our creator, our redeemer. Oh, God, open our eyes to see Jesus and, and afresh fall in love with him and, and see him for who he is and, and make it our passionate pursuit more than ever to get to know him. Jesus' name, amen.